Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our executive pastor, Pastor Brandon McPherson, with this week's sermon. Well, good morning once again. Grab your Bibles, if you would. Jonah chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, For those that haven't been here the last three weeks, we've been in a Jonah series, um, in a four-week series through the book of Jonah, and so today we'll actually conclude that series. So no stress if you have missed so far. Um, If you don't know the story of Jonah, it's a popular one, but we'll get you caught up. So Jonah chapter 3, I'm sorry, Jonah chapter 4, and actually we will look at the last verse in Jonah chapter 3. So I'll give you just a moment to, to find that. Um, this book has been, it's, a, it's a, a roller coaster of emotions, if you're familiar with the story. The, the beginning chapter uh, is Jonah in complete rebellion against God, and then turning from that, uh, he finds himself inside of a fish in, in a heart of repentance and thanksgiving, and then, then you see him, this downward swoop. Sw- Wait, downward slope of uh, Jonah uh, getting uh, angry at or preaching the gospel and yet still now getting angry here in chapter 4. And so uh, one last time, would you stand with me to honor God's word this morning as we do read his, his word. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, And when God saw what they had did, How they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster." Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city, and he sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he would see, and so that he could see what was to become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant, and he made it come up over Jonah, that it might shade him over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn had come up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and he said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And so the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into the night, and it perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for this morning, this day, as we have been able to celebrate Uh, the gifts that you have given us, that we can celebrate family and our children. But more importantly, Lord, we can celebrate you, Jesus. We've come here on this Lord's Day to worship you. And so we pray blessings over your word, that we wouldn't just hear these words, but we would do as they say. 
And so we thank you for this time. Bless your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the story of Jonah is one that is filled with expectation or experience and that meets doctrine. And so we all have different experiences in our lives. All of us have come from different backgrounds. We know different people. Our families, though some of them might look similar to other families in this room, by and large, all of us live different lives. We all have different plans today and throughout this week. We have different expectations, motives, goals, struggles as did Jonah. Jonah has a completely different experience. None of us know what it's like to grow up in the culture that he grew up in, the time that he was, and being a prophet of the Lord. None of of us know what that is like. And so the story, or the book of Jonah, is a story that happens when experience meets doctrine. And all of us have, like I said, experience, and all of us have doctrine. We all have theology of who we believe God to be. And for some of us in this room, that theology might be really great, and for others, it might be really poor. But regardless, anytime our experience in life is matched up to our belief in who God is or what we believe Him to be, that impacts how we continue. And so for bad experiences matched up against good theology or good doctrine, there can be fruit from that. And or the other way around, even maybe a good experience matched up against bad theology can actually lead to worse experience. And so it's good to have not only good experiences, but at the same time, life is filled with certainly experiences that we wish we didn't have to endure. And so it's important that we understand that Jonah is a book about God, not about Jonah. That it's a, it's a book about understanding who God is. And in these four short chapters, we get all kinds of theological nuggets or be these giant theological statements of, of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and, and God working through electoral calling. And we see these big hunks of theology that are difficult at times to understand Difficult to process, but when we understand that we begin to believe the God of the Bible, the God of who he, how he says he is, it begins to shape our experience here on this earth despite good times and bad. And so looking again at verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the d- disaster that he said that he would do to them, for he did not do it. And so does this mean that the Lord changed his mind, that he was just in this moment, just like, all right, you know, I've seen that they've done good, I've seen that they've repented, and so I'm not going to destroy them. Has, he caused, has some sort of new information crossed God's mind? All of a sudden, he just became aware. It's, it's, you know, it could, I guess, be interpreted that all of a sudden a light bulb just came on in God's head and he's just like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to, to destroy these people. Was there something that made him rethink his plan of action? Because some people would answer in the affirmative. They would say that, that, you know, uh, that God did, in fact, process the situation based on an experience, and he decided to change who he was. But this ultimately betrays the Scripture. 
Because given the scripture, we see that, that how we view God matters and we have to look at the full counsel of God's word. In fact, in Jeremiah, he would say that the word came to him. He was a prophet and it said, Oh, house of Israel, can I do, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. God says that if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up or break down or destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from evil, I will relent of the disaster that is intended to do to them. What God is saying is that it is His decision what happens to a nation. It is His decision what happens to a soul. And that might rub you the wrong way. Well, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? Where have you been maybe even in our own lives or in our own nation? But God doesn't change his mind. In fact, it says specifically that the Lord is not a man that he should change his mind. And so the idea that Nineveh's response was uh, out of God's plans is nonsense. Before God even called Jonah to go to Nineveh, God knew that Nineveh's state and what would eventually happen. And so something supernatural had to take place. Something that only God could do had to happen. I would imagine many of us in this room consider Christ Savior. And because we can say those things and believe those things, we have to admit that this is only but a working of the Holy Spirit. That the ability to recognize your sin and repent is only made possible by way of the Holy Spirit in Christ's sacrifice. And so these people, the people of Nineveh, by way of the Holy Spirit, were able to hear God's word, recognize their sin by the unction of the Holy Spirit, and repent because of the sacrifice of Christ. And so Jonah, who is preaching, imagine preaching a sermon. Maybe some of you have preached before. It's a bit nerve-wracking, especially on days like today. Uh, but it's a, it's a little nerve-wracking, but could you imagine... 120,000 people that he gets to preach a sermon to. Every pastor has their pocket sermon. Their one sermon that you keep in the back of your pocket that you just know like, oh, this kills. Like every, every place I go. Like if someone asks you to speak, it's like, all right, yep, I'm going to, for me, I know exactly, you know, Abraham is going to be sacrificing Isaac. This is going to blow the roof off the place, right? And you've got that sermon, and so you just have to think that Jonah, you know, in, in, without knowing the whole story, you might would think Jonah was like, oh, I got the sermon. Oh, oh I got the sermon. 120,000 people? That's great. And the response was wonderful. In fact, no other place in Scripture do we see that kind of response. No other place in Scripture do we see that kind of revival that takes place. I mean, in Acts, you see this great awakening, this church revitalization or, or being created, and you see the Holy Spirit and moving in a way that we never see in the rest of Scripture. And it says that 3,000 people were saved in that, in that day, and what a great day. But God is saying 120,000 people, an entire, double, triple the size of all of Mechanicsville, put sackcloths on them, covered themselves in ashes, and began to worship a God that they didn't know the week before. And so Jonah, it's recorded his response in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. 
Jonah's heart was so bitter toward these people. This is, we begin to un- uncover why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. And his heart was not for the people. He hated those people. And he didn't want them to be saved. So I would think that Jonah probably went into Nineveh instead of bringing his best or presenting the gospel the best way that he could. I would say it was probably just the most pitiful sermon of just, yeah, God's going to destroy this place. And if you don't repent... You know, you're going to go with it. And then I could just see the people begin to weep and Jonah just being like, you got to be kidding me. Like I, that presentation and you guys are still repenting this way and weeping this way. I mean, you've got cloth over your cows. And yet at the same time, as I read this as a pastor myself, I feel a bit of relief because I know that when God's word is proclaimed, how and what way it comes from me doesn't actually matter all that much. I want to be as uh, diligent to the reading of God's word and prepping for this time. But at the same time, I know that when God's word is proclaimed, there's fruit. And so these people are able to hear God's word and respond And so we see that maybe the only person that's actually robbed in this story is Jonah. His attitude of the whole situation changes the perspective of how things are going to work for him. And and during this 40-day period of waiting for God, he is bitter and upset. His attitude is tarnished, and it's ruining this experience for him. It's ruining this moment for him. I've recently... uh, decided to go on one of the most difficult journeys of my entire life, and that is for the first time coaching four- and five-year-olds in T-ball. And I thought this was going to be awesome. And, I, and you might be like, oh, wow, does he not really like it? And I would say, not really. It's not really my thing. I don't really like it. But I'm just going to keep going because I signed up for it and because the kids are counting on it. But the thing is, is that, you know, I played ball my entire life. And so before the first practice, I sent a message to the coaches and I was like, all right, here is minute by minute how this entire practice is going to be broken down. We're going to show grip. We're going to we're going to show them how to cut hit their cutoff. We're going to show batting stances. We're going to do all of these things because I forgot what it was like to be a four and a five year old. And I get out there, and the one, I'm like, does anyone know how to hold the ball this way? And the one kid's like, my glove is blue. And at that moment, I realized this is going to go different than I thought. Can we just play tag? I mean, th- those were the things that they were asking. And we were at, on, a, on the field yesterday at 8.30 in the morning, because that's what time T-ballers have to play. And we're there, and one of the kids, I'm looking at them, and he's just like, I don't, I don't want to be here. And I'm like, man, I don't either. But, you know, and, and so I'm t- he's like, I don't want to be here. And I'm like, buddy, we're playing ball. Like, this is where you want to you be here. And he's like, I don't want to be here. And it's frustrating because their attitude to the game, half of them are really focused and the other half are don't even know what the day is. And so how we perceive things matter. And in the one moment toward the end of the game, a little bit of sprinkling started coming down. And the kids that didn't want to be there immediately was like, I'm out. Like, I don't want to be here. And the rain is just all the more reason for me not to be here. And so they began to make excuses as to why they didn't want to be there. And Jonah certainly could have had his list of excuses. Well, I don't want to go there because it's the the most violent city on earth. I don't want to be there. I don't want to go there because I don't, you know, it's too many people. I'll get stage fright. I don't want to preach that. I don't want to go about that. Or, or I, don't want to, I don't want to go there because there's something that's coming up in my own life and I, I need to do some other things and... He could have looked for any excuse, and he certainly did. 
it's easy for us to look for excuses, isn't it? Can't you almost think of an excuse to get out of almost anything? Don't you love it when someone cancels plans on you and you don't have to come up with a reason to cancel plans? <laughs> Isn't that just when they're just like, hey, I'm not going to make it night, and you're just like, shucks. And I, I really wanted to spend some time with you. But some of us look for excuses as to, to ways that we don't, have to, we don't have to engage with God's word. We don't have to engage with God through prayer. In fact, some of us think of excuses. We don't have to engage with God's people. I don't need to be a part of the body of Christ. I don't need to, I don't need to be a part of this fellowship. It's funny when I'm talking about T-ball, isn't it? <laughs> and so God's word is filled with men and women who make excuses, but God is there to show them that he has, that he has plans that are different. Look at verse 2. And then he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and you were merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah is angry. What we say in our anger says a lot about us. How, and even the things that we get angry about says a lot about us. It's okay to be angry as long as it's a just anger. But this is a wild prayer that Jonah prays here, and it's even, it gives us a bit of a glimpse in our own lives. In chapter 2, you see this prayer of thanksgiving, and then in chapter 4, you see Jonah just going off the rails with this prayer. I mean, look, he says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says this Great question. He unpacks wisdom here by saying, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? What is this helping? And Jonah knew who God was. I mean, he's saying, God, I knew you would be merciful. I knew you'd be gracious. Jonah is mad at God for being God. And so this is sinful anger. James 1, 2 says that for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What do you get angry about? Thomas Watson once said that sin gratifies Satan. He says that when, when lust or anger burn in the soul, Satan warms himself at that fire. Jonah is angry. And God says, is this, is this advantageous for you to be angry is this helping you right now that's not guys that's not a question to ask your wife during her anger right is this is this good for you right now to be angry <laughs> but God can certainly ask this question and Jonah responds and it says that he he went out of the city and he sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And so Jonah is outside of the city pouting at his anger, and he's hoping that God will not relent, but actually will destroy the city. He's just hoping that something will happen, right? These people just got saved. Maybe, maybe we'll give them a couple of days, and they'll, they'll kind of get back, and God will just strike this thing down just like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. Like this is going to, Jonah's sitting back just hoping that God will not relent. And so he's sitting under this tree. He's hot. He's miserable. Most uh, physically, yes. Emotionally, spiritually, yes. And then verse 6 says this, Now the Lord 
appointed a plant. This is the second time this verb is used in this, in this story. The first time was that God appointed a fish. And so we see now, pay attention, God has, has authority over his creation. He has authority over the fish. He has authority over the plant. That if God just says, this is going to grow, he doesn't have to point to anything. And this will become that and it will grow. That is God. So he appointed a plant and he made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad at this point. So now we have, again, this bipolar kind of experience of Jonah being exceedingly angry that God has saved these people. Then all of a sudden a little plant grows over Jonah and now he is exceedingly glad. He has found more comfort in the natural things than he has in the supernatural things. And so I ask you today, what are your dreams? What do you hope for? What, what do you pray toward? What grieves your heart? What makes you happy? What at the end of this year do you want to have said you have experienced or that you have accomplished? Or better yet, maybe a more revealing question. If every prayer that you ever prayed was answered, would the lost be found or would you just be rich? Jonah just wanted shade. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. Again, for the third time, God looks at a little worm and is like, do your job, buddy. This is what you were placed on this earth to do. And that little worm, this little worm that gets recorded in Scripture, who knows whatever happened to that guy, right? I mean, he just climbs up that thing and he's like, lunchtime, right? And he just gets to eat that thing and it withers away. Just like that, gone. Job knew this all too well. Job is recorded as saying this in Job chapter 1, verse 21. And he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What Job is saying is what Jonah needed to understand, and that is the things that you have in front of you are just temporary. Even our children, as we stand here and, we, and I hold my baby, I pray that I can see this little girl grow up and get married and, and have a family of her own and have goals and all these things. But if that's not God's plan, if somehow God takes her from me, I pray that he doesn't. But she is his. Everything that you have been given, everything that you have earned is his. Whether you submit to God or not, everything that is good in your life is from the Father above. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and he said, it is better for me to die and to live. The, right, the readers during this time surely would have known what was happening. The, the east wind would have come right off the Mediterranean, and it, would, it can literally kill you. Because of its fierceness and because of the sand penetrating your skin. And so Jonah, is simply, he is surely in tor torment. He is not just getting a breeze and, and being petty, but he is miserable. And he says, it is better for me to die than to live. Have you, have you been there? And I'm not going to call anyone out or anything like that, but have you ever been in a situation where you just thought, you know what, it's just better for me not to live on this earth any longer? 
It's just better for me not to be here. And I know some of you, and I know some of your stories that you, you definitely have experienced this. And for some of you, your, your testimonies uh, in, have moments of, of suicidal thoughts or attempts or, or uh, near escapes and God's hand has been on you. But, but all of us, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us in this room have pondered the idea of, God, wouldn't it just be better if I didn't exist? This is, a, this is a bad experience getting met up with some theology of some sorts. And so if you can take that bad experience and you can plug it into God thinking that it's better for you to not exist, then that's bad theology. That's bad doctrine. But for you to understand who God is and how he has called you to be his and how he has saved you and what he has brought you from, then you can look at him with good theology despite a bad circumstance and say, God Though you have slayed me, I will serve you. And though you have taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Simply put, if this life, if 2020 continues to be the bar that we live as human beings for the rest of our lives, God is still in the throne. And he is still good. And, and guys, it could be a lot worse, right? I mean, I know that that doesn't really bring comfort to people, but things could be worse. And things are worse for a lot of other people, but God is still on the throne. And he is still for his people. And so Jonah is at this moment of absolute despair. And then some of the most beautiful words are then mentioned in verse 9. But God said to Jonah. What is happening is God, despite Jonah's rebellion, despite his bitterness, despite his heart, that despite his suicidal thoughts and not wanting and just wanting to check out of this world, God looks at Jonah and still speaks to him, still pursues him. This is God's grace. This is God that, that despite our wickedness and our sinful desires, his constant pursuit of us is worth worshiping him over. That we can praise God that he still comes after us regardless of our backslidden state. Well, that's not me. God hasn't spoken to me. No, no, no. Listen, God is speaking to you right now. This is God's word right now. And so if you're in that state and you're just like, man, this, just forget this. This life has just been awful. I don't want to be here. I just want to check out. Let me just encourage you by saying God loves you and it's objective evidence because you are hearing his word this morning. Oh, you thought you were coming here to see some kids get dedicated? <laughs> no, you are coming here to hear the proclamation of Christ crucified and raised. But God said to Jonah, does it do you any does it do well to be angry for the plant? And he says, Yes. Jonah is still bitter. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand people who do not know their right hand from their left? And so we wait until Jonah 4, Jonah chapter 4, to see the real reason why Jonah, this prophet, did not heed God's call in chapter 1. And that is that he hated these people. 
that Jonah's sin was grounded in a correct view of who God is, although it was grossly misapplied, but he ran not because he was afraid of preaching in a foreign land, but because of he was afraid that God's word might actually change the hearts and minds of the people that Israel hated, their enemies. Jonah's anger was irrational. He, again, was mad at God being God. And it's so easy to be given tough theological terms or tough theological statements about who God is. And it, and it really just, you really just uh, wrestle with it. And she's like, God, truly God couldn't uh, uh, choose who's going to be saved. Truly God wouldn't spare certain people and not others. I mean, truly this isn't the God of the scripture. And then you begin to unpack, this is truly the God of the scripture. R.C. Sproul would say, lest we are quick to judge Jonah and not ourselves, let us consider how often we expect the Lord to forgive us, but then we do not want to see our enemies pardoned. We are too much like Jonah, hoping God will crush our enemies instead of saving them. But as the Lord takes no delight in the death of the wicked, neither may we. May our longings always be for the repentance and restoration of God's foes and of ours. This means that the prophet cared more about plants than he did about people. Jonah forgot that no sinner deserves God's forgiveness. Even a prophet of God Almighty and wanted to, to withhold the possibility of pardon from those who deemed unfit to the kingdom. And then he says this, and I love, but we are all unfit for the kingdom. So we should long for the Lord to save us just as he has saved others. Jonah gets it right by saying he is gracious, he is merciful, that he is slow to anger, that he is abounding in steadfast love, and he relents from disaster. We all agree that God can appoint a wind. Don't we, we agree with that? God can, God can control the wind, can't he? God can, I mean, that's, it's invisible. We can't even see it. And God can control a worm, can't he? I mean, we see this in Scripture. We have no problem with that. God can even appoint and control a, a plant. I mean, it's getting bigger. And then we even see in, in chapter 2 that God can even appoint a great fish to come. But when we start talking about man's heart, we start, getting, we start feeling weird. Oh, God couldn't appoint man. God couldn't tell us what to do. Surely God is not the potter choosing to do with the clay as he chooses. We are all comfortable with God having complete control over a fish, wind, plant, a worm. But if God has complete control over man's heart, then we separate ourselves from other Christians who refuse to believe in that kind of sovereignty. It is our wickedness that makes us believe that if we go to Tarshish, it handcuffs God to the throne. Let me just tell you this. Everything that God wants to accomplish through you in your life, God is going to accomplish regardless of you. Actually, in spite of you. <laughs> Jonah is angry at God being God. So as I get ready to close, I want to ask a few questions this morning as to what motivates 
you? What motivates your anger? What, what, what gets you angry? Is it something that is just or is it something that, is it someone cutting you off in traffic? I mean, this chapter, there's so many different ways that you can look at this, but I think one way in particular is that God loves you and you should love his people. And so I think we should ask ourselves, why do we care more about things than we do people that need to be rescued by the God that we claim to be rescued from? What do you love more than the people that God wants to rescue? And so whatever happened to Jonah? There's not a chapter 5. I wish there were. I'd love to see what, what was next in Jonah's life because it ends abruptly. I mean, it just ends that, you know, we've saved these people and there were cows there too. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. And I think, I think it's a great way to end because it kind of ends with, with us being able to ask a question to ourselves of, do we trust this kind of God? Do you trust this kind of God that has this kind of sovereignty, this kind of authority, this kind of power? I don't know how you would answer that question, but I can say I get nervous at the thought of worshiping a God that doesn't have that kind of power. And so Jonah went in and preached the gospel, and many, many, many lives were saved that day. And it's a beautiful story. It's a, a great ending for the people of Nineveh, for the king and his people. But Jonah just didn't make the cut as far as being the one that saved him. He simply had to preach of the one that could. And so Jonah that day preached a gospel message. He had to. If there's no other way that they could have been saved. Jonah goes into this great city with bitterness. And listen closely. If you haven't been paying attention, listen to this part right here. I'm almost done. Then you can go grab lunch. Jonah is, goes into this great city bitter. And Jesus goes into a great city, humble. Jonah was in a boat during a storm and was thrown from it because he was the issue. And Jesus walked on water to get into his boat because he had authority over those things. Jonah was with a plant and said, take my life. And God said, no. Jesus was in the garden with plants and said, God, spare my life. And he said, no. Jonah went out of the city so that he might die because of his selfishness. Jesus went into the city and died because of his selflessness. Has your personal experience tarnished the way that you view God? That's a real question. Have, have maybe some of you lost someone so close to you in your life that you truly cannot trust God? If that's the kind of God, then I can't trust him. Then I, I urge you, look to the God of the scripture and see that he is good despite wickedness around us. Have you turned from his church because of those inside of it? Have you turned from your neighbor? Have you even turned from yourself? God is far greater. He is far more merciful. He is far more gracious than you could ever imagine. So I say to you today, rest 
this morning in the knowledge that He is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that He relents from disaster. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.